Thanks for joining us at Faith. We hope the message you're about to hear encourages your day and draws you closer to Jesus. If you'd like to join us for service or find out more about the church, visit faith.church. That's faith.church. You know, you're, you're the church, right? Everybody say church. Church. What does the word church mean? Church means, the Greek word for church is ekklesia. It means a calling out to an assembly. So what God has done for all of us here at Faith, who call Faith our church, is he's called us out of the world into a relationship with us, with him, and into an assembly of like-minded believers to learn and grow and thrive together in God's kingdom, to worship Jesus, to follow Jesus, to find who Jesus is in our lives, to support one another in the journey. And so you are the church. Here at Faith, God is doing something incredibly unique and fabulous and preparing us to stand out in our culture today with a biblical worldview, with life and love and not religion. It's gonna be a great thing. There will be opposition we will experience. We know that, we're not afraid of that. We're looking forward to what God is doing. But you are the church. God is doing this through you so that the world that you influence every day will have a witness of who Jesus is and how awesome it is to give your life to God. So give yourself a hand clap. So we've been reading through the Bible. How many of you are enjoying that Bible thing? It's a pretty good Bible thing. I've been, it's been fabulous. This last week, uh, we, we're in our year of Bible history, we got to see the disaster of David, his abject failure all the way to the dedication of the temple and uh, his desire, David's desire to build it. And then ended up what happened was Solomon got to build it. This morning, we're gonna focus on David's failure. It's not gonna be a bummer. I'm sure you, it's gonna be good. But we're gonna take a look at the consequences of that failure in light of God's unchanging character and plan for redemption. Our God created each of us to bear his image to the world that he has placed us in. Where you live, where you work, the people around you, God's choice and desire is to allow, to have you allow him to bear his image to them so that they might know him through you, because you are that important. You are his witnesses to the world. It's God's desire for each of us to exercise the free will that he's given us in choosing our pledge of loyalty to Jesus. It's this loyalty pledge to God by which he judges our hearts. God today, and today we'll see that David's loyalty to God is what, is what made him a man after God's own heart. Each of us can become a woman or a man after God's own heart by pledging and following through with the same loyalty that David displayed. David was a man after God's own heart. How in the world can David be a man after God's own heart after doing what he did with Bathsheba and then to Uriah? How does that work? It seems like it's incongruous. It doesn't fit together. But today we're gonna to understand how that is because loyalty is defined in Merriam-Webster's as an unswerving in allegiance Faithful, steadfast, true obedience. Unswerving allegiance. Faithful, steadfast, true, and, obe and obedient. While David's behavior reveals very similar shortcomings to all of us, our own shortcomings we experience, his heart of loyalty is what set him apart. It set him apart to his contemporaries, it set him apart in the scriptures, and it set him apart as an example for, him, for us. That David had a loyalty to God that was unmatched. It was un, 
wavering in allegiance. He was faithful in his heart towards God. He was steadfast and true in his adoration that Yahweh is God, O God, Lord of Lord, King of Kings, and there was no other. That's what set David apart. So we too can step into this position of loyalty by exercising the free will that God has given us, the free will to choose him or not. David's life can be reviewed in two seasons, pre-Bathsheba and post-Bathsheba. Pre-Bathsheba, David had been taken from the sheep, pasture, anointed future king, empowered by the Holy Spirit to play music, sing songs of worship, exercises of courageous faith as he conquered Goliath. He was a successful general in the army of Saul. He was a favored warrior of the people. He was the son-in-law to the king. He then eventually became a fugitive to the king's wrath. He was a collector of the distressed, the debtors, and the discontented. Anybody here fit that description? He was a defender of Israel in exile. He was faithful warrior of Yahweh. He was loyal to God's anointed. He eventually was made king and a successful ruler of Israel and a loyal worshiper of Yahweh. That was King David, pre-Bathsheba. Post-Bathsheba, David made one poor decision after another. He conspired to murder. He attempted to cover up his sin, although when confronted with this, he was quick to repent. He abdicated his role as an active father in his children's lives. All you have to do is read his encounters with his kids, and he was not a father to be emulated. He failed to confront difficulty in his relationships. He shook off the safety of counsel, and he made one poor decision after another, after another, after another, post-Bathsheba. The consequences of our failures and shortcomings are often a direct, direct result of the poor free will choices that we've made. When we choose to be loyal to God, we receive the promise of his presence in our lives even when our choices result in very difficult consequences. So 2 Samuel 11 begins with, it happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. Huge error. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed, walked on the roof of the king's house, and from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. Scripture says when kings go out to war, go out to battle, David stayed home. The beginning of David's failure was that he was not where he was supposed to be. He was not fulfilling the role that God had called him. He had chosen to exercise his own free will by not going to war. Now, I get it. He'd been in war for like decades by this time. You get a little tired of the conflict, right? But his calling was to be king, was to be leader of the armies of Israel, and he chose to stay home. Why? Because he could. He was king. Who was going to argue with him about deciding not to stay home? Go ahead, Joab, do your work. You're really good at it. I've taught you well. We've done battles before. You can do that. I'm staying home. 
David was out of place by a choice of his own free will. Scripture goes on to say that it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of his house. You know, when you read Scripture, you want to read Scripture, right? Slow down and read what he says. One evening, David arose from his bed. What a lazy bada. All day long, he'd been lying in bed, and he didn't get out until the evening. Now, that's what a man of God does, right? Ladies, if your husband sat in bed all day long, how good would it go with you? I don't think that would be acceptable. So David arose, and uh, he, was not, he, was, he was not where he was supposed to be. He was not doing what he was supposed to be doing. He was violating his call. Free will. David was exercising his free will. This is a great statement, and that's not because I got it, but the Lord gave it to me. This is the gift of free will is a frightening gift from God. It truly is a frightening gift, but it's an important gift because God's desire is for each of us to choose him on our own, not coerced. God wants you to want him because he wants you. And so that kind of circular thing happens. He seeks after you, you respond by saying, oh, I choose you. He says, oh good, because I choose you too. And I choose you again, good, I'm gonna choose you some more. And it's a great thing. But because of that free will choice, you have the ability to not choose him. And you have the ability to do whatever you want with your own life. David chose to exercise his free will and choice by staying home and lying around in bed all day. Who was gonna confront him? He was the king. There are consequences to our free will choices. There are consequences that are good and consequences of bad. The consequences of David's free will choice were devastating. Bathsheba gets a really bad rap in this whole story, right? Because we know David and Bathsheba, David bad, Bathsheba bad. Wait a minute, why is Bathsheba bad? It says that He arose from his bed and walked on the roof of his house and he saw a woman bathing and the woman was very beautiful to behold. When we read the scriptures, we're gonna learn how to read the scriptures through the context of the scriptures, not our Western worldview. We wanna read what was going on at the time. Later on, we're gonna see that she was cleansed from her impurity, which means she was seven days after the end of her menstrual cycle, which means God had, and the, and the law had commanded that a woman would cleanse herself of that impurity. When the culture of the day is, she, de- she was not bathing to cleanse her body. She was cleansing to adhere to the law of cleansing from her impurity. She was not naked in this bath. She had a, a chamois on, some kind of an, a clothing over her, but she was bathing in accordance to the law of God. She was also bathing in the evening where there was an expectation of privacy. People were supposed to be in the houses during that time. They were supposed to be having dinner and spending time with their families. David's plateau was higher than eighth because he was the king. So, but she had an expectation of privacy. And yet David saw her and said, whoa, there's a good looking lady. So David inquired about the woman in 2 Samuel 3 to 4. And someone said, is this not Bathsheba? the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. 
Eliam. Who is Eliam? Eliam was one of David's mighty men. He was one, he's listed later on in the, the group of 30. Eliam is a man that had, was, had discontented in debt and was in distress earlier. He was one of those guys that met David in the wilderness and probably ran around with him and with Saul as Saul was trying to kill David for 10 years. He suffered with David. He lived with David. He worked with David. He warred with David. He supported David. And he had a daughter named Bathsheba. Uriah the Hittite, who was not Jewish, but was also part of the 30. He was also listed in David's mighty men. Here was a man after God, a man who had pledged his loyalty to Yahweh, a man who served David, who was part of his warrior team, not only, not just a, a soldier, but a, a, an officer in his army. This is who Uriah the Hittite is. So that's who this woman is. And David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him and lay with her, for she was cleansed from her impurity and returned to his house. He took her. Bathsheba is really one of the most innocent ones in this whole event. Who is going to deny an invitation to the king? He didn't know. She didn't know what he wanted. All she knew is that, hey, the king would like to have it come over for dinner. Okay. And then he took her. And after he took her, he sent her home. I don't like this part. I want David to be better than that. I want to think of him better than that. He's the man after God's own heart, for heaven's sakes. But here, at worst, this was some kind of coerced rape. At best, it was adultery on his part. And all of it is awful. There's nothing good that has just happened. And why did this happen? Because David wasn't where he belonged. He wasn't at war. And he was being lazy. He was violating all sorts of principles. And that set him up for incredible trouble. We need to remember that. When we violate what God has called us to do and we're not in the place where God would have us, there's an opportunity for us to make a poor choice beyond that choice. So we want to be careful about that. The result of this was an out-of-wetlock child. And the woman conceived, and so she told David, I am with child. So what does David do? He's king. He can do whatever he wants. So let's practice some deceit. Why not? I've already raped the girl. Why don't I practice some deceit on it? So David sent to Joab, send, send to me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. And Uriah, Uriah had come. David asked, how's Job doing? How are people doing? How's the Lord prosper? And David said, go to your house. Wash your feet. So, yeah, because if you do that, you know, I know what you're going to do, and it's going to be okay, and I'll be fine. Right? So Uriah departed from the king's house, and a gift of food for the king followed him. Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord. It did not go down to his house. So when the Lord, so when they told David, saying, Uriah did not go down to his house, David said, didn't you come from a journey? Haven't you been, like, gone for a while? You haven't seen your wife, your family? Why didn't you go down to your house? And this righteous warrior says, the ark and Israel of Ju and Judah are dwelling in tents, and my Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord are encamped in the open fields. Should I go down to my house and eat and drink and lie with my wife? 
<laughs> no way, as, just, as long as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. And so David said, you know what? Hang out today, let's, let's have dinner again, and I'll let you depart tomorrow. So we remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. And when David called him, he ate and drank before him and he made him drunk. Because you know, when a guy gets drunk, you know, some of his inhibitions will fall, right? Not this righteous man. And at the evening, he went up to lie in his bed with the servants of his Lord, but he did not go to his house. So what are you gonna do after abusing a woman? What are you gonna do after you've started deceitfully trying to manipulate things? Let's conspire. This is a good thing. In the morning it happened that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote to the letter saying, set Uriah in the forefront of the battle and retreat from him that he may be struck down and die. Sure, let's commit murder because that'll take care of it. That'll take care of it because then maybe they thought that maybe he went down to the house and maybe that can work. And so it was while Joab besieged the city, he assigned Uriah to the place where he knew there were valiant men. Then the men of the city came and fought with Joab, and some of the people, the servants of David, fell. And Uriah the Hittite died also. Then Joab sent a messenger and said, go tell David what's been going on. The messenger said, surely the men prevailed as far as the entrance of the gate. The archer shot from the wall, and some of the king's servants are dead, as well as your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead. And David said, ah, say to Joab, don't let this thing bother you. The arrow takes one or the other. One man dies, another man dies. It's battle, it's kind of war, so be okay. Just keep pressing in. Cover up. One bad choice after another bad choice after another bad choice. And when the wife of Uriah heard that, her husband was dead. She mourned for her husband. This woman is innocent. She has no idea that David just murdered her husband. All she knows at this point in time is that she is with child by the king and her husband's dead. And now what? My dad is at war with David. I don't know what to do. And so she mourns the 30 days, which was the right time frame to mourn. She mourned the 30 days. And at the end of that, David sent and brought her to his house and she became his wife. At the end of those 30 days, she gets a call from David. What a creepo. I could have said something earlier. But the thing that David did displeased the Lord. The greater the influence we have in people's lives, the higher of sta- right, standards of right actions are required of us. When God elevates you to a higher place of influence, there is a responsibility to adhere to that by the grace of God and to not violate the will of God, the plan of God, the nature of God, the character of God in that place of influence. And so what does David do? When we fall short in any area of our lives, we begin to be very critical and judgmental of other people being, doing the same things we did. If I'm a liar and I hear people lying, it just really borrows the fire out of me. When I'm a thief, when I'm hanging around thieves, I don't like thieves. Thieves are awful, you know? If I'm around a vain man, I don't, if I'm vain and I don't want to be around a vain person, what a creepo. We judge harshly those that are doing the same things that we are doing. 
because it's human nature. It's, a, it's an attempt for us to take assuage our own sinful activities and make us feel better about ourselves. So David responded to this, and the Lord sent Nathan to David, Nathan's prophet, David's prophet. He came to him and said, there were two men in a certain city, one rich, the other poor. The rich had many flocks and herds. The poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he'd brought up. He brought it up and grew with him and his children. It used to eat morsels from, from his, and drink from his cup, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler, a rich man, and he was unwilling to take one from his flock or herd and prepare the guests who had come to him. So he took the poor man's lamb and slaughtered it and prepared it for that man. And David becomes incensed. What is this story about? David at this point had seven wives. Uriah had one. David could have had any of his wives at any time. Uriah had one. Bathsheba is innocent. She's the ewe lamb. She's, she's the little lamb in this. She's the one who's been slaughtered and abused by David. So what does David do? He erupts in anger and was greatly kindled against the man. He said to Nathan, as the Lord lived, this man's going to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing, because he had no pity. <laughs> First of all, the penalty for this violation was never death. The law would require for this guy who had stolen these lambs to pay, you know, to pay back for it, but not with his life. And so David is looking to cut the guy's head off because inside David knows something that he's not admitted yet. And the bravery of Nathan comes out when he says to him, you are the man. Or he said it like this, oh, you're the man. It could have come either way. As a prophet, you kind of think the prophet's pointing out his finger, you're the man. But I'm not sure that was the way it is. I'm thinking it was Nathan was like, Oh, my king, you're the man. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house, and your master's wives into your arms, and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and taken his wife to be your wife and killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have displeased, despised me and taken the wife of Uriah as your own. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you from your own house. I will take your wives from before your eyes and give them to your neighbor and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. You kind of feel the heaviness of this? Whew. This is awful. But now we see the character of David revealed. We see why David is a man after God's own heart. Right here. Because David responds immediately with, 
I have sinned against the Lord. No blame shifting, no covering up, no trying to say, I didn't really do it, I didn't mean it, what are you talking about? He says, I have sinned. And Nathan then says to him, the Lord has also put away your sin, you shall not die. Nevertheless, because of this deed, you have utterly scorned the Lord. The child who is born to you shall die. Oh, you know who's paying a big penalty for this? Bathsheba. I mean, it's a great thing to have a child. I mean, there's a lot in circumstances, but she was going to have a child. And now her child is going to die. Whew, baby. Lord God, have mercy. But David's response to this is incredible, and it is the one that we want to step into where there is life out of this circumstance. David not only acknowledges his sin, he writes a psalm about it, and he publicly, publicly confesses his guilt, his shame, and his heartfelt cry to be restored back into fellowship with God. Psalm 51 is an incredibly beautiful, powerful psalm for all of us to sing read, pray out loud, speak out loud when we have found ourselves short of what God has called us to do. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast, loyal love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, only you have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and, I, and, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with your willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth. I will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered at your altar. Have mercy. Have mercy upon me, O God. A cry born out of desperation but also a cry of relationship. He knew that God is a God of mercy. God, be who you are. Do not let this sin of mine 
separate from me from you forever. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me because then I would be undone and it would be awful forever. Restore to me in your steadfast, loyal love according to your mercy. Against you, you really, I've only sinned. Because my sin is against you, O God, you are justified and blameless in your condemnation, condemnation of my free will choice. Cleanse me, purge me, blacken out my perversions and create in me a clean and new heart. Do not abandon me to myself. Restore me to yourself so that I may be the witness to my generation that glorifies your name in ways that allows the lost to be saved. This psalm and David's humble response to his failures confirms that David's standing as a man after God's own heart. This is where the confirmation of David being a man after God's own heart is affirmed. David declares his unyielding, unchanging loyalty to Yahweh, to the God of Israel, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the God of all gods. David proclaims the righteousness of God to justly punish his failures while at the same time humbly requesting God to maintain relationship with him. This is what loyalty looks like. This is what made David a man after God's own heart. David expressed his unwavering loyalty to Yahweh again. Each of us are created in God's image and likeness. It is God's desire for each of us to step into a life-giving relationship with him for all eternity. Every shortcoming and every failure, God has taken care of so that we can maintain a, relation, a relationship with him based first on his loyalty to us. This expression that God gives to David, confirms what he spoke to David at the very beginning. In 1 Samuel 16, it said, for the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the heart outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. David's heart was right with God. David's actions were not, but his heart was right, and God saw his heart. The consequences of David's free will choices were devastating. Goes on to say, when Nathan says, and the sword shall never depart from your house because you've despised and taken the wife of Uriah. Behold, I'll raise up against you out of your own house and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. You did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. What he's telling David is, David, you will live the rest of your life in conflict. You will live the rest of your life. David's had a life of conflict. From the young ages, he's been at war. He's been chased. He's been after the enemies of Israel. The king was after him for over 10 years. David's life now was supposed to step into a life of peace, a life of security. And yet God says to him, because what you have done, the consequences of your free will choice is lifelong conflict. Death will follow you, David. Death will be part of your inheritance. Family trauma is going to erupt out of you. When we read, go on forward to read what happened with David, David's family was 
dysfunctional. When we talk about a dysfunctional family, you've got one, one son raping a daughter, you've got another son murdering a son, and then you've got another son rebelling and trying to kill the king, and then sleeping with his wives. Whoo! Which one of you have that in your family? Don't raise your hand. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, yeah. Family trauma and public humiliation. That was the rest of David's life. How are you going to deal with that? Where are you going to deal with that is because David was loyal to Yahweh. He knew Yahweh. He knew that he wouldn't take his Holy Spirit from him. And he remembered that famous psalm that says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. David had experienced the presence of God in his life through very, very difficult circumstances. And he was confident that even though the consequences of his choices were devastating, he would not walk them alone. Oh, thank you, Lord God Almighty. And that is the same for true for all of us. God will never allow us to walk through the consequences of our uh, choices by ourselves if we don't want to. David's confidence was secure even though the consequences were devastating. David lived his life in recognition of the grace of God that demonstrated his loyalty to God. Get this point, because that's the point of this whole thing. God's approval of David centered on his loyalty, not his behavior. We're not going to excuse the behavior, but God's loyalty, God's love, his steadfastness towards David was based on his heart. Ephesians 2 says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and not, not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Each of us are invited into this relationship by grace, by God's unmitigated favor. He loves you. He knows you. He recognizes what you've been through. He understands the challenges that you've had. He's happy to walk through whatever experience you walk through. He's happy to step in with you. James says, draw near unto me, and I will draw near unto you, says the Lord. When we draw near, we invite God into our presence. Loyalty is what God is looking from each one of us. Each of us have the opportunity to step into the same loyalty that David demonstrated. We too can decide by a choice of our own free will to pursue the righteousness of God found in Jesus. Now here's a big one, and this is kinda, I've been ruminating on this for quite a while. Our God is a jealous God. And he's jealous for us. Envy and jealousy are very similar, right? Envy is a feeling of discontentedness or resentful longing aroused by someone else's possessions, qualities, or luck. Envy says, you know what? Ooh, ah, look what they got. Ooh, I want that too. Ooh, that'd be so nice to have. I don't care that you have it. You can keep it. But I want it too. Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz, right? <laughs> My friends all drive Porsches. I must make amens. That's envy. They can have their Mercedes. I just want a Porsche. Jealousy is, is hostile toward a rival 
or believed or one believed to enjoy an advantage. I want what you have, and I will not tolerate you having it. Exodus 3, 34, 14 says, you shall worship no other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. Our God wants you, all of you. He will not share you with any other God, with any other person, with any other thing. He wants all of you because he loves you. And he wants you to experience his goodness and his kindness and his mercifulness and his greatness because you are created in his image and he wants you to bear his image. Therefore, he is jealous for you. He will not share you. You are too valuable to share with any other God. He will not share you. He is so jealous for us. He sent Jesus to become like us, to live the life that we lived, to experience every temptation that we've failed in so that he then can overcome them, live the sinless life, take the penalty of that death and say, come on in. It says in Hebrews that he was tempted in every way in points like us, yet without sin. Therefore, we can now come boldly before God's throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Jesus was nailed to the cross because he was sinless and he was nailed for our sin and then he said, it is finished. The wrath of God is appeased. And they can all come in because I am jealous for you, says the Lord. Our example in the life of David reveals that God truly does look at the heart. His approval for each of us is found in the position of our hearts, not the works or the behavior of our actions. David's free will actions were not excused. They were not overlooked, but they were forgiven. Our free will actions, our free will actions are not excused. They are not overlooked. However, when repented of, they can be forgiven because God wants you in. David's actions had severe consequences but he was not abandoned by God. Our actions have severe consequences. Many of us are still walking them out, yet we are not abandoned by God. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you as the promise, not draw near to God and if I think you've done good enough, I'll draw near. Uh-uh, he loves you. His attitude towards you is good. When you step into his presence, his face goes, oh, you're here. Welcome. I'm glad you're here. For those of you who have grandkids, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Maybe not the children, but the grandkids. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you're here. God's desire is for each of us to step into this free will decision of loyalty. Only you can determine or decide whether you're going to give your loyalty to Jesus. No one can make it for you. No one can coerce you into it. And God will not coerce you into it. For if he did, then it wouldn't be free will. He wants you in. He sent his Holy Spirit to woo you in. 
He's wooing some of you even right now. He wants you in. He wants you to experience his love, his mercy, and his grace. He will forgive your iniquities, your failures, and your shortcomings. And if there are consequences that are difficult for you to bear, he will walk with you in them. He is happy to be with you in them. He will get into the muck and mire with you. He will walk with you. He will carry you. Put my yoke upon me. It is easy and light. I will never leave you. I will never abandon you, says the Lord. Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, says the Lord. He wants to walk with you because he loves you. He likes being with you. He enjoys your company. He enjoys your presence because you're created in his image and likeness. And all you get to do or have to do is choose to be loyal to Jesus. We have to recognize that we need his mercy, we need his grace, and we can then receive his loyal love. We love God, why? Because he first loved us. The famous scripture, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. It is God's choice and desire that man would live for him forever. He created us to live forever at the beginning. Sin came in. He separated us from that so that we would not die in a state of sin. And now he has reinstated the opportunity for each of us to live with him forever. Because he loves you. He likes you. He likes hanging out with you. He wants you to hang out with him. And all you have to do is pledge your loyalty to Jesus. Father, we thank you that your grace is more than sufficient for us. We thank you, Lord God, that you do not hold us guiltless, but you've also provided a way for our guilt to be covered, for our shame to be cleansed. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all of our unrighteousness, and we thank you for that. Father, we receive that from you today. Lord, we look to the, to the character and nature of David, and we are sorry to hear one of our heroes blow it so big. Yet when we look in the mirror, we see that we've blown it as well. And yet you say to us, come to me, all ye who are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Father, we come. We come in the name of Jesus. We ask you, Lord God, to minister life to us. For those of us who are here and have never made the loyalty pledge to Jesus, who've never acknowledged your own free will, by your own free, free will, and have rejected the merciful grace of Jesus. For those of us who'd like to make that loyalty pledge for the first time, just raise your hand. If you'd like to say right now, I'd like to pledge my loyalty to Jesus for the very first time, go ahead and raise your time, your hand. Thank you. Thank you. Now for those who would like to state your loyalty to Jesus. If you'd like to restate your desire to pledge your loyalty to Jesus, to declare to those around you and to yourself that Jesus is your Lord, your God, your Savior, your King, your King of kings, Lord of lords, and there is no other God, why don't you just raise your hands and let us pledge our loyalty to Jesus all over again. Father, we thank you and we pledge our loyalty to Jesus. 
We thank you, Lord God Almighty, that you've chosen us. You sent Jesus to die in our place so that we could come in. We thank you, Jesus, that you are the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. We're asking you, Lord Jesus, to heal, to renew, to restore, to deliver us, and to receive our pledge of loyalty. Thank you for bringing us in. And as we walk through the consequences of our free will choice, Lord God, we thank you for walking through with us through these valleys of the shadow of death, that we are not alone, that your presence is with us forever. You have not taken your Holy Spirit from us, but you dwell in us, Holy Spirit. We yield to you in Jesus' name, and we declare our loyalty to you in the holy name of God. Amen. Amen.